Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Good morning, Free Life Community Church. How are you? Good morning, Free Life Community Church. How are you? Awesome. And good morning to our Mecca campus in beautiful Mecca, downtown Mecca, Indiana. What a deal. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to all of you who are watching on our podcast, uh, on our Facebook Live, as well as those listening on our radio station. What a glorious day it is in South Central Indiana, mainly because the sunshine is out. I enjoy that. Anybody enjoy yesterday? What a beautiful day we had. Had some amazing things we could complete and uh, a lot of rain, you know, we've had, but our crops are, are enjoying that. At least here they are. Some places are getting too much water. Uh, and of course, that's that way someplace all the time. And then some places aren't getting enough. That's just kind of life in this world. And yet some people are benefiting, some aren't, and still God is in control. He always is. And I'm grateful for the sunshine and the warmth. I enjoy it so much. And Beth and I were hanging out on our back patio last night enjoying the, just the, the wildlife and the sounds. You know, I noticed that some of the wildlife I really like and some of it I don't. Uh, because some of it, are they're kind of pesky. They, they, they build uh, nests, you know, in your gutters and they, they poo-poo all over everything. That's not cool. And then there are certain critters, you don't know what they are, but they've dug holes and you find it and you do everything you can. You're, have you ever gone to war with an animal? Has anybody done that? My, I, mice, I go to war with mice. Uh, you know, I, I try to take care of them. I have my own patented method, and I'll get them. <laughs> Pretty good at it. And then there's other, like a gopher. You, gophers, you don't want to corner a gopher, I'm telling you right now. And I'm pretty sure I've got one in my backyard. And they burrow under things, and there's not a lot of in, here, in this area, but we do have them. Um, and, or you'll find a ground squirrel. Ground squirrel's a little bit different than a squirrel you see in the tree. They have a shorter tail, uh, and they're meaner. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. So, and every now and then, you'll think it's one of those things, and it's actually a rat that's done it. So don't be, don't be surprised, and you got to be observant, and you got to watch, you know, the hole or the, where the, they're coming in and out, decide what it is. Now, some people have gotten brilliant, and they've used trail cams, you know, put on there because movement makes, sets it off, and it takes pictures and a video of what it is, you know. So a lot of different things. Things we know and things we don't. Part of life. God likes to keep you guessing. Have you noticed that? He's keeping me guessing. And I'm like, God, why do you do this to me? And God says, well, it isn't to you. It's for you. And I'm like, okay. And I, and I, and I, and I kind of did this. I'm, I'm sorry I did it some, but, I'm, but then again, God gave me the right answer. And, and I sort of said, uh, God, you'll have to explain that to me someday how it's for me. 
And I bet you some of you can understand that. Because some things that God does or doesn't do don't always make sense. It's not that we can't get it. Sometimes we refuse to get it or we're not at that point where we can understand it yet. Has anybody noticed that sometimes they don't understand the things of God? Anybody ever been there before? The Bible tells us a lot, but there are certain things we can't know until they're revealed to us or we understand them. And when God said to me this morning, no, no, and I, and I fought him too. I said, Lord, but this sermon is already prepared. I just have to review it. I'm ready to go. And God said, next week. And I said, God, are you sure? He said, I'm sure. I said, okay, Lord. So I had to go dust off. It wasn't a sermon. It was just some thoughts that I put together some time back, and it wasn't for Memorial Day. But it fits perfectly here because God wants us to value our legacy. Value our legacy. And it comes from Joshua chapter 4. Brilliant, brilliant, amazing lesson and story here. So turn with me to Joshua 4. And beginning in the first verse, we find some things have changed now with the people of Israel who have come out of Egypt. There's a new man in charge, and it's Joshua. And we find in verse 1 that when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Now, how many of you think that these were pebbles that they picked up out of the river? No. These were stones, big ones, big ones. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Now, did you hear that? Go where? Into the middle of the Jordan. Friends, if God tells me to go over into the middle of the Wabash, I'm going to go. Yeah? Is anybody going to say, Oh, goody, I get to go in the middle of the Wabash today? Probably not. Do you think the Jordan was any nicer than the Wabash? I can assure you it was not. Probably worse. And yet that's what God tells them to do. And he says this. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. And in the future... When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, 
according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. And Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan, at the spot where the priest had carried the ark of the covenant, had stood. And they are there to this day. Now, there's a lot of things in that passage. Do you know what the most important part of it is? They are there to this day. But what's this day? Whenever you're reading it. They are there to this day. Now, friends... One of the most important days that we celebrate in America is indeed Memorial Day. It's a day to remember those who have given what we consider to be the ultimate sacrifice for our national freedom. And it goes without saying that without their bravery, without their heroism, their sacrifice, our daily pleasures and freedoms that we enjoy would absolutely not be possible. I personally am grateful for those who have served before me. Those that began this nation. Those that fought for this nation. Those who refought for this nation. Those who stood in the gap for this nation. Those who did so because they loved this nation. Are you grateful for that? And so on this day, it's a day to pause and recognize the great price that has been paid and to show our national pride and our gratefulness for those who have paid so much. The text that we looked at this morning is a memorable one to me that is highlighted with the phrase, what do these stones mean? And so as I began to think about that, I realized that the background of the message is the most transitional period in the Old Testament. Again, we now have a new leader. Moses is dead. Joshua is now in charge. And not only that, some other things have changed too. We have a brand new landscape. Remember, we were horsing around in the wilderness for 40 years. Now we're out of the wilderness and in a brand new area that we call the promised land. Not only that, there's a new legacy before them. And it's in the form of a stone monument that is there for one reason, and that's to inform all the peoples of the earth how the Lord God is powerful, mighty, and eternal. It's stunning because he had them pull stones out of the middle of the river that nobody had seen, nobody could see, and now he made something of them. Isn't that interesting? So the importance of establishing a legacy is incredibly demonstrated here in this text, and it reveals the value of a strong foundation that's being laid on the memories of great moments of victory and heroism. Victory and heroism. And so today our nation's reflection on those brave heroes of freedom is what I consider to be a classic modern example of this Old Testament 
I guess you would say, practice. So today we remember and honor those who died in the service of our nation. So that those of us living today could continue living in the freedom that they died to provide. And they left us, dear friends, this legacy that's worth remembering. And the fact is, maybe not all of us will leave a legacy of dying for our nation. But every Christian today is going to leave a legacy for the kingdom of God. That is what we have to look at today. That's what we have to see. That's what we have to notice. And friends, we all have this legacy to build and leave, and we must value the opportunity to do exactly that. And I believe that there are three reasons to value your legacy. And the first one is, it reminds us of what we know. Now, this is big because, first of all, <laughs> you can't make good decisions without facts. Uh, in World War II, the U.S. Navy, before the war actually began, before, well, the war had started, but not for the United States. The war was raging in Europe. Hitler had invaded Poland uh, and other nations, and he was determined to completely conquer Europe. And the United States dragged his feet, didn't get, want to get involved. We didn't want to, and, and uh, our president at the time, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, said, we got to keep giving the British and our allies more of our ships so that they can fight this war. Because we seem to think that Hitler and his thugs are Europe's problem. He said, we have to do this. And they said, and keep cannibalizing our fleets? He said, what else choice do we have? We're building refrigerators while our enemies build bombs. And he was right. And so the United States didn't get into it, but we were nervous about what was happening. Why? Because we were struggling with Japan. Japan was not real happy with us cutting off oil to her, of not sending her the scrap she wanted because she was building bombs with it. We didn't know it. They had been planning an attack on Pearl Harbor for literally a year, and we didn't even know it. And after the attack, we still hadn't broken the naval code. We had broken the diplomatic code, but we hadn't broken the naval code. And Japan was preparing another major attack, and we didn't know if it was going to be on the West Coast or if it was going to be in the island of Midway or in the Solomons. And there could have been even another place. And the admiral in charge wants to know where to deploy our ships. And the Office of Naval Intelligence said, Sir, I understand that my job is to try to understand what we think the enemy is going to do. It is your job to decide what to do about it. And he said, then break the naval code, Captain, so I can make the right decision. You see, without facts, we're blind. We don't know. And that's sort of like life. I think the first value to our legacy 
is important because, it, again, it reminds us of what we know. Oftentimes, we sort of become rattled in life. Has anybody been rattled in life before? Just a little bit rattled? A lot of things will do it. And we begin to wonder what's real and what isn't. Have you been there before? It's sort of like that after you wake up from a nightmare. You wonder, was that real? Right? Remember the old slogan years ago, is it live or is it Memorex? Right? Remember, who remembers that? Yeah. We sort of wonder what's true and what isn't. We begin to wonder who is trustworthy and who isn't. We begin to wonder what's reality and what is not. And some people still haven't figured that out. Right? And I remember many moons ago, my wife and I were faced with a new challenge in life. And it seemed like everything was telling us to not move forward in the endeavor that had been placed before us. And she'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And my wife got away from the situation for a little while and, and sought out a very close personal friend of ours. And, and she got a message and we were told, let's look at what we know. Remember that, dear? Let's look at what we know. Don't worry about what you don't know. And I began to think about that this morning. And from that point forward, I've always tried to do exactly that. I've always tried to focus on what I know. But I also want to make sure that what I know is accurate. It's accurate. You see, there will always be plenty of what you don't know. Have you noticed that? There will be plenty of what you don't know. But we can't make good decisions on what we don't know. Hence, the naval commander's disdain over what he didn't know. Everybody wants good information to make good decisions. You see, we can, though, make much better decisions on what we do know based on the facts. So I would say we need to make it a practice to go back to what we absolutely do know and move forward with that because you're always going to ponder what you don't know. You're always going to wonder about what you don't know. And sometimes in this life, there's going to be a lot of what you don't know. And in the Christian life, there's a lot we don't know. But what do we know? That God is. <laughs> Amen? And the children of Israel did so. They took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan and carried them over with them and laid them down there. You see, friends, this is a direct, obvious, invisible mound of stones. Everybody could see them. And according to the Bible, they're there to this day. So everybody can still see that monument of stones. Amen? Those stones would have been obscure in the middle of the Jordan today, too. And not one person would ever see them. But because they carried them out and did what God told them to do with them, now everybody sees them, and they're significant. They were insignificant when they weren't seen, but they're wildly significant as they are seen. You see the difference? Each one was probably very large and very heavy, yet not one was cut to size or touched by any type of human manipulation. God did it. God knew those stones were there, didn't he? 
That's why he told them to go get them. I'm sure the people of Israel didn't know the stones were in there. I suppose they gave thought that maybe there might be stones in the river. And I, I begin to wonder, have you ever noticed that around our facility here and other places we have in our, the Parsis too, that we have what we call river rock? Yeah. How do you know it's river rock? Because it came out of a river. And you can tell by the way that the history and time through the water has shaped them. And they're really beautiful to, to look at. And I remember the first time my wife and I, at our first house that we built up in Osceola, we got a load of river rock, and we thought there would be these bright colored, beautiful rocks, and they dumped them out and put them out, and Beth goes, uh, those are brown and dingy. That's not the color that I wanted. You remember that? And I'm like, yeah, about that. And I went and got the hose, started spraying them off. And then all of a sudden, there they were. It was interesting to me what they looked, at, looked like when we got them and then what they really were underneath. And I began to ponder that a little bit because you know what? Those things came out of a river, and there's a lot of them just like them in rivers all over the world, still there. We may never know what they look like, but we know what the ones we have look like. And even so, they're stacked up on top of each other, and there's some on the top you'll see, the ones on the bottom you don't. You see, we don't give much thought to them. We don't know what they are until they come out and they're visible to us. And then they mean something. Otherwise, they're just river rock. And so I began to think about that more and more and more. And I realized that these stones that God had them pull out of the water and put on top of each other that are still there to this day, it was a reminder to them of how God and God alone had not only created those rocks, but commanded them to get them out and put them on the side of the Jordan. So they're, they're not river rock anymore. They're land rock now. And they're a reminder to them of how God had brought them this far, how he had provided for them. And doing so supernaturally at times, by the way. And he gave them their own land, something he had promised to do literally centuries prior. It was this established monument to remind them and their families and the generations that would come after them of this unparalleled blessing of having God as their guide and their protector. Something that for 40 years they sort of took for granted. And I often wonder how many years will it take for God to let us wonder before we realize that we're actually in the promised land. You see, these untouched stacked stones reminded all that saw them of the incredible miracle of God bringing his people into the promised land. It gave them this sense of national pride and confidence in God's hand upon them. God has his hand upon his church, too. He has his hand upon you. And he has his hand on things around you. And sometimes we wake up or we go to bed, and we've forgotten all about that. Because whatever's ailing us or before us is getting every ounce of our attention. And we're worried about what we don't know instead of focusing on what we do know. 
that God said, I will never leave or forsake you. You will never be alone. And I began to think about that, and I realized that God has established and provided for this nation. He has established and provided for this nation. We can say the same thing about how God has protected and provided uh, for our nation, just like he did for the Israelites with his own hand. He miraculously has defeated our enemies and our foes with victory. He's done it again and again and again. And in the end, <laughs> Satan is going to know when he gets what he's going to get that God's defeated him too. See, he already knows it. He just doesn't like to admit it. That's why Jesus said, get behind me. You have no part of me. And we can say the same because are we not redeemed? Have we not been called? Have we not been infilled and indwelled? Are we not his? Same is true. You know, friends, our military prowess is not what has made this country safe. It isn't our scientific, industrial, or economic might, neither. All those things we have, and we're probably the best at it in the history of the world. But it's not those things that's provided for our freedom, nor for our sovereignty. Those things, my friends, are tools, but they are not what's caused it. It is God's supernatural hand of protection and His divine providence that has done so. God said, I will rise kings and I will fell them. I will rise nations and I will destroy them. And He has. And I, for one, am grateful that we are and have been a favored nation. And I want to keep it that way. And for me to do that, for you to do that, for us to do that, is to acknowledge that it is God that has done it. To thank Him, to praise Him, and serve Him. And if we do that as a nation, we will remain. Amen? Our legacy reminds us of what we know. Secondly, our legacy forces us to remember our faith. I don't know that we always do that. You see, it seems like we're always remembering things. I want to call your attention to that for a minute. Because the question I have for us all is, but what things do we remember? Can you, can you go down that road with me for a minute today? We're, we're remembering things, but what things are we remembering? Well, it kind of, it kind of depends on the day, doesn't it? Kind of depends on the situation. Do we seem to remember the good things? Or do we seem to remember the bad things? Does it depend on the person? Maybe. Does it depend on the timing? Maybe. Does it depend on the particular day you're having? Perhaps. But the fact is, humans have this mechanism that allows us to do all of those things. And we change like the wind. One day, we're all about the good things. The next day, it's not so good. We're thinking about all the bad things. And sometimes, we'll even go from one to the other in the same day. 
But what I've realized here is that it almost seems as if we, re- we remember what we want to remember. That's a part of the human psyche nobody's figured out yet. You see, when we want to feel badly about something, what do we do? We remember the bad thing. And when we want to protect ourselves and have good thoughts, we only want to remember the good things. And friends, that's exactly what we're going to do. It's human nature. But God doesn't want us to have human nature. What does God want you to have? Godly nature. He said, be like me in every way. And through the Son, I've given you the way to do it. Now, that doesn't mean that everything's always going to be hunky-dory, even if we have a godly nature. But it does mean that the way we deal with it is very different. Doesn't it? Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant had stood. I think this passage is often overlooked and sometimes neglected. And it stuns me because Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priests had stood. And it begs the question, why? I mean, who would ever see these stones? There wouldn't be a reason to do this if nobody would ever see them. But Joshua does this as a reflection of his faith. He did it so that he and the others with him would remember something. It was an event and a monument to help them do that. You see, God wants us to remember our faith in the difficult times. God wants everybody in here to remember the faith that you have in Him in the most difficult of your times. Because He knows that you might not. You might focus on the problem itself, or the problems, or even the people that are coming against you. It's pretty difficult when someone's hurting you. No matter what you do, that face keeps coming toward you. You keep seeing it. And the problem, yeah. And every problem with that is that that's all you focus on. And now when you see that face and all that seems to be is evil towards you, now you want to do something back in retaliation to it. Now you want to teach it a lesson. Now you want to make it feel what you're feeling. Anybody? You want to do to it what it's doing to you. That isn't the godly way. It isn't godly nature. That's human nature. If you want to be true about it, it's actually devil nature. That's what Satan wants you to do. Not what God wants you to do. God doesn't even want you to focus on that. God would rather you forget about the face that's coming towards you in the, in the feature of that person and bring the face of Jesus in front of you and what he did for you. That's what God wants you to do. God wants you to see this and he wants you to be what yeah all in why you see friends God never said you might go through difficult times Jesus said in this world you will have trouble you will 
but take heart. Rely on your faith. Remember my face. Why? Because I have overcome this world. And with me, so have you. And so when we go through these difficulties, it's easy to focus on what we don't have or what we can't do. Has anybody done that recently? You focused on what you didn't have or what you couldn't do. I know that. I did it the last couple of days. I focused on what I couldn't do and what I didn't have. And I cried to the Lord because I didn't have what I used to have or I didn't have what I think I should have had. But God, if I, if I could just have this or if I could have this, then I could do these things. And I bet you've been there. If only I had, then I could. And you know what? This is interesting to me, and that's probably true, but here's, here's the message I got back from the Lord this morning for you. If you have me, what else do you really need? <laughs> My wife is pretty good at giving me those things when I least expect it. It reminds me of the song of my favorite Christian band for him. All I need, I already have it. Because you know what I have? Him. He's all I need. Is Jesus all you need? You see, a lot more comes with him, you know. He's the full meal deal. So much more comes with him. And the more I began to think about this, I realized that while it's easy for us to focus on what we don't have or what we can't do, God would rather, and He actually, He doesn't just expect us to, He kind of demands us to focus on what we have in Him and what He is able to do. God does not want you to focus on what you don't have and what you can't do. He wants you to focus on Him and what He can do. Because what can he not do? You see, the more victories and successes we have, the better we're going to remember this. Amen? And more than that, when you have to rely on God, and God is the reason you make it, that helps you to know that God will come through. Friends, God is asking me this morning the same question that I'm asking you. Do you know... And I really know that God will come through. You see, that's what faith is all about. Regardless of what's going on, you don't have to know all of it, but what you do know is that God will come through. You know that God's already won the battle, and because you belong to Him, you win it too. Now, it doesn't mean you won't lose some battles along the way, but you do win the war. We know the final outcome. You see, the difference... For Admiral Nemesis, he didn't know the final outcome. It was not yet determined. But in the Christian life, it's already been determined. Long ago. You see, there's a big difference in any situation if we need God to come through and then know that God is going to come through from what we need God to come through, but then we wonder if he will. Big difference between the two. In both instances, you need God to come through. The difference is, one wonders if he will, and the other one says, I know he will. You see, there's a massive difference in your belief system 
and in your attitude when you are in the one that knows he will come through. It determines everything you will do that day and probably determines what you will do that week and maybe even in the future. It determines everything. Attitude is everything. We've said it again and again. I'll say it again today. Coach DeLille has seen it a thousand times. Listen, you, you can coach every skill there is in any sport you, you, you're in, but you cannot coach heart. And I saw a clip this past week of the replacements. I was looking for a sermon illustration for something in the fall. And so if you ever are in, uh, in near my office and you hear, I'm not just watching movies in there, okay? There's a reason for what I'm doing, all right? So I'm just putting that on display right now. Anyway, so, I, and, and in the replacements, it's a, you know, it was a, you know, the National Football League, they, they went on strike. And of course, that really happened one time. And, uh, and so we had replacement players, and uh, that actually happened once. But in this movie, Gene Hackman is the coach, and um, he's got a team together of replacement players, and then they, and they played pretty well together, and they got one more game before the playoffs, and they get in, and then all of a sudden, the star quarterback of the Washington Sentinels uh, crosses over the, the picket line and, and plays, and the kid that he had playing can't play anymore because the big cheese got in. And, of course, the first half was disastrous. They weren't used to this guy. He wasn't used to them. He didn't have a very good attitude. And so they weren't doing well. And as they're coming off the field, a reporter asked the coach, Coach, what, 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 what do you think is going to turn this around? He said, well, <laughs> you've got to have heart. She said, what? Heart. We have to have oodles and oodles of heart. And he starts tapping his chest with his paper. Got to have heart. If you don't care, you probably won't win. Because if you don't care, you don't care if you win or lose. You're just doing it for what you think you'll get out of it. And you can tell the difference, Coach DeLille, every single time on the mat when somebody's got heart and when they don't. Now, we don't always win if we have heart, but we've competed. Sometimes heart's enough, and you've seen it. You've seen it. Sometimes heart is all you got. You see, this is the thing. And I would rather have a team with kids with little talent but a lot of heart. And friends, I would rather have adults with not a lot of talent but a lot of heart. And I'd rather have a church with a lot of heart too. Over a church with all the talent in the world. You understand that? You know why? Because so would he. God would rather have a church with heart than a church with all this talent. I mean, who gave you that talent in the first place? The same one who filled you with his heart. <laughs> Amen? See, that's the difference. And it's a big one. You see, Joshua wanted the people to remember that God's unseen hand would continue to guide even though no one may see him. And I've often wondered, how often has God done things I didn't even know he did it? How often has God protected me, moved things out of the way that nobody could move, and I didn't see it, didn't know it, may never know? But what, you know what I do know? He's got my back. 
God's got my back. Even when nobody else does. Or I don't think that they do. And you know what God's got? He's got your back when you don't have it. Uh, has anybody been there late recently where you don't have it, but he does? See, he, he wants to reveal that to you. Just like those stones under the dirty, murky waters of the Jordan, God knew that they were there. The people knew they were there. And God would remind them that he would always be there. God was always going to be there. And that's what the monument was for. So the people would see that God would always be there, even when you didn't remember it the day before. What's your monument? What reminds you that God will always be there? Where's your Ebenezer? Everybody's got to have one. And God's sometimes got to allow you to come down to your lowest point for your Ebenezer to stop you, and you can say, there it is. That's it. And from here, it's all up. It's all northward. Sometimes God needs to tear you down to build you back up. That's what we do in the Marine Corps. We bring raw recruits in who know nothing. And we break them down mentally, physically, and emotionally and build them back up our way. It's getting harder to do that because everybody outside the Marine Corps thinks they have a better idea on how to build Marines than those who command it. Unfortunately, I think it's happening in the church too. We are trying to go down paths of building that God didn't put in place for us. We're building churches based on our desires, not His. And when you do that, you want, I told my wife this last night, you want the same things. Everybody wants heaven. Everybody wants God's protection. Everybody wants the blessings and benefits. The problem with it is we haven't completely surrendered sometimes. So that we understand that God wants to take us down this path. We're still trying to do it on our own path sometimes. And sometimes we're kind of back and forth. It sort of looks like God's path, but it isn't completely. And the only way you ever know that is if you completely surrender to Him. And I'll bet you it's very possible that there's somebody listening today, either here at Mecca, online, uh, on the I don't know, that probably just realized, you know, there's probably a couple things I should probably let go of. I should probably just say, okay, God. Yep, all right. And, and maybe it's not something you can even think of. Maybe it's the little things that you take control of each day that you shouldn't. Now, God's probably not going to, you know, I'm not telling you that you need to stop before you go to the restroom and say, you know, God, you, should I go? I mean, I, I think you know and you need to go, <laughs> okay? But what about other things? God wants to be in them. He's in the small things. Because he's God. And he cares about the small things. There's not a, a little child next door that what they think and feel doesn't matter to God. Not one. And what you and I might find silly, he doesn't. Because in their small, finite understanding, that's what they get. And it's the same for us. Because as silly as we sometimes think children are, God looks down upon his children as adults and says, that's kind of silly. But it doesn't have to be. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. And so we need to surrender that God would do that. And friends, here's what I found. God re would remind the people he would always be there. He would never leave or forsake them. Our faith is also in that 
which we cannot see. The working, the power, and the love of our eternal Heavenly Father. Jesus told us in John 20, 29, Then Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. I can't see everything that God has done, nor what He will do. And sometimes I can't see what He's doing right now. But that doesn't mean He's not doing them. I know He's God, and that's all I need to know. And I need to know that because God is working for me, it's to my betterment. I don't have to know all the ins and outs and the details of it, just that He is. Friends, there will be lots of things that we can't see or specifically know how they happen. But what we can know is that God is in it. That's all you need to know. Those stones were reminders to the people of their need for constant reflection and remembrance of their faith. You've got to remember the faith you have in Christ in the most difficult of your circumstances. Three, our legacy gives us the reinforcement for our future. I have to tell you, I look out over this world, and I'm fearful for my, grand, my grandchildren. Anybody with me here? Anybody worry about your kids? or your grandkids in the future. Why? Because this world is more uncertain than it's ever been, yeah? See, that's something we know. What do we not know? How it's going to pan out. <laughs> but then again, we do, don't we? We do know. You see, I found something. Christians are just as fickle as unbelievers are. <laughs> are you willing to say that's probably true? Do you think Christians in the church are fickle? Come on, come with me here. Hey, you can't, you can't, look, okay. Who's not responding? Do you think Christians are fickle? What do you think God thinks they are? Who, th who thinks God believes Christians are fickle? Come on. You know he thinks it. Have you ever heard the question, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? This is a big one because people seem to live, get this, in the moment. We seem to live in the moment. Maybe we live in the moment too much. I can't tell you how often I've seen or experienced a situation in that somebody has been a tremendous performer in their job or as a scientist or as an athlete or really anything, even as a pastor. Maybe even as a Christian. And everybody around them starts to know that they can be relied on. They begin to bank on them. And they sing their praises. Have you seen that before? And then the unthinkable happens. They fail at something or they get injured and they can't perform. And who knows what might have happened. But all of a sudden they're not at the top of their game anymore. And you could time the fallout with an egg timer. Just like that. It's overnight. Suddenly their employer or whoever has been singing their praises turns on them. They seem to forget all about the good things that this person has done and how consistent that they've always been. None of those things seem to matter anymore. Because today, well, they, 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 they failed. Maybe you work in a job where you feel that way. But you see, I, I realize that it, 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 it doesn't matter. You see, none of that matters. Because all of those things are quickly forgotten in the difficult moment where things aren't so great 
And then comes the question, yes, but what have you done for me today? Yeah, I, I know about all these other years, these other weeks, these other months, whatever, but what about today? Huh? What about that? And isn't that the cruel question that we get asked? On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. And I began to think about that, and I realized this last benefit is personal. You see, with new leadership comes a trial period. And we determine how long of a trial they're going to get. <laughs> yeah. Don't we determine how long of a trial somebody new gets before we determine if they're any good or not? Ask any president. Ask any congressman. Ask any pastor. We determine that, you see. You see, everybody knew Moses. The first two verses of the book of Joshua introduced Moses. Get this, contrast. Moses was the servant of the Lord. And then Joshua was introduced as son of none, assistant to Moses. Big difference. Yeah? One's a servant to the Lord. And the other one is a servant to the leader. Big contrast. You see, Joshua was not well known. He wasn't yet really tried. Notice in verse 14, it says that on the day the Lord did something for Joshua that was unique and necessary for a nation, an organization, or even a church, perhaps even a family. God did this for him. He made him a trusted leader. He set him up and gave him something that the nation needed. And when the children of Israel established and believed in this value called legacy, God blessed them with a leader that they could trust. And I think that's huge because God did so while blessing Joshua with the confidence of this nation. You see, this was a critical thing for the establishment of their new lands and the new battles that they would face in the next several years as they drove out their enemies. Because if they couldn't trust Joshua, would they go? No. If they didn't have confidence in the building, would they do it? In the military, we have this clause that we call no confidence. And if it's voted on by enough senior members of a ship, they can relieve you of command. Have same thing happens in the Marine Corps unit. I don't know what the Army does. I don't know what the Air Force does. Because I don't know how you have no confidence in a pilot. <laughs> You can't pr pretty much take him out of the seat. But nevertheless, no confidence. And that's when people don't believe in the leader to get them to the objective that they're trying to take. And they won't follow. And I think that's sort of kind of happened in Russia right now. Maybe. And there are good reasons for it. Leadership is not defined on a title. It's defined by your heart. It always has been. And as I began to think about what's happened here, I realized something. Christians have what unbelievers do not. Did you hear that?
Christians have what unbelievers do not have. We have a leader we can trust. We have a God that cares. We have the one who loved us so much that he redeemed us and saved us and continues to walk with us, uplift us, protect us, go before us, pave the way. And the way is always leading one place. We're on the journey to heaven. As a kid, I used to sing this song in Bible school, and I hated it then, but I love it now. We're going to a mansion on the happy day express. The Lord calls out for heaven. We all will answer yes. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going. I know where that train goes. I don't know what it's going to go through. I don't know what valleys. I don't know what bends. I don't know what mountains. Sometimes I'm surprised. Sometimes I'm not. But I know where the destination is. I know. We know who we serve. Amen? Say it with me. We know who we serve. We know who saved us. We know who sustains us. We know who to go to. We know who to trust. We know who to believe in. And we know who can do all things. Do you? Unbelievers do not have this benefit. Why? Because they do not know the Lord. There's a massive difference between a believer and an unbeliever. The attitude is different. Because the destination is different. The outlook is different. Because the outcome is different. Until they change it. Yeah. You see, unbelievers don't know what God has done. And because they don't know what He has done, they don't know what He can do. I know what He's done because He's done it for me. And it helps me understand what He can do. Because he's already done that. Unbelievers have no experience with God, so they don't know to go to him. They don't even think it's necessary. They only know, get this in quotes, they only know what they see and what they have personally experienced. Or they know what they've been told by those that they actually put their faith and trust in, which isn't him. And it could be the media. <laughs> That's, that's, a, that's a problem. It could be others who don't know him any better than they do. That's a problem. Or they could just put it based on what they've always thought and known. And let's face it, what you've always thought or known doesn't make it right. But Christians have learned that we may not be able to trust people, not even those closest to us. Why? Because people aren't God. <laughs> it's pretty simple, isn't it? And there are a variety of reasons why people fail one another. And yet, here's what I'm going to tell you. God has never failed. God has never failed. But we only know this because we have experienced what God has done 
in what God has promised he will do. In Joshua 21, 43 to 45, we find this. So the Lord gave Israel, get this, all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to the ancestors. Not one of their enemies stood, withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every single one was fulfilled. So you start here with Joshua putting this monument up and all the things that happened in between, and God gave them every single thing he said he would. When they crossed the Jordan, they didn't know that, but they sure did when they got there. They sure did when they got there. You see, God never fails. The worldwide English version, which I don't use much, of the Word of God, translates 1 Corinthians 1.9 this way. God never fails anyone. It is He who called you to belong to His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Apostle Paul told us in 2 Timothy 1.12, This is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. I think there's a song about that. For I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. Yeah? Do we know that one? Probably I'll sing it a time or two. And as our worship team comes, friends, let me leave you with this. In this day that we live, we need to encourage a more grateful spirit in ourselves and in those who are influenced by us. You are influencing people whether you know it or not. Sometimes it's positive, much of the time it's negative. But you will influence them. Amen? Stopping to remember the sacrifices of those who have given their very lives for our freedoms can bring several benefits to our hurting, scarred, and bewildered nation. We can remind all citizens of the facts of how God gave us this land because he did. Didn't he? Didn't God give us this land? We can reflect on our faith that was the hallmark of the founding of this nation. And we can develop greater leaders and a more blessed populace of people because of their strength and courage. Build on your legacy but do so in the faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ who establishes and sustains you even in the midst of the storm. He always has. He always Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.